Hello, Benjamin Partridge here. I make the Beef and Dairy Network podcast. Just a little quick thing before the episode starts properly. This podcast is part of Maximum Fun, a brilliant podcast network, and this month is Max Fun Drive, which is your chance to support the Maximum Fun shows that you love, whether it be just this one, Beef and Dairy Network, or a whole load of them. It's your support which keeps this show going. And if you'd like to sign up to support the show, and I'd be really grateful if that's something you would consider, have a look at MaximumFun.org forward slash join. That's MaximumFun.org forward slash join. On with the show! Coming soon to Mitchell's Flicks UK. You've got the money? It's all here. Ten million pounds. Let me check. I said it's all there. The latest movie from Mitchell's Pictures. If it's not Mitchell's Pictures, kick over your drink and walk back out into the lobby. This is only £9,999,040. Where's my money? I took 60 quid off to cover the cost of the briefcase. You did what? You think I'm just going to give you a free briefcase? The Times said you'll never look at a briefcase in the same way again. And The Guardian said the conceit of a supernatural jungle-themed board game seemed far-fetched at first, but... Oh shit, hang on, I've watched the wrong movie. I've watched Jumanji again. Sorry, I'm always doing this. The deal wasn't £10 million and a free briefcase. No, it was £10 million, so give me my money. You think briefcases are free? No, they obviously aren't, but... This is a decent briefcase. It's got a premium leather handle and an executive titanium clasp. It's obviously a nice briefcase. I just don't see why I should have to pay for it. It's got a special pen pocket! The Briefcase. Exclusively available on Mitchell's Flicks UK. Sometimes a briefcase turns into a briefcase. Welcome to the Beef and Dairy Network podcast, the number one podcast for those involved, or just interested, in the production of beef animals and dairy herds. The Beef and Dairy Network podcast is the podcast companion to the Beef and Dairy Network website and printed magazine, brought to you by Mitchell's Flicks UK. The streaming service which has taken the US by storm has finally launched here in the UK. Sign up to watch The Briefcase, and it's also now the only place you can watch all the episodes of classic TV dramas Beef Justice and Bankside. Also, Bankside the Movie, brand new episodes of Car Crash Anus and Car Crash Anus USA, every episode of Vet in a Helicopter, including the one with the Chinook machine gun disaster, and, for some reason, it's currently the only place you can stream the Bette Midler comedy drama Beaches. For this month's episode, the plan was that I would meet with Beef and Dairy Network archivist Alex Neon, who is based at the International Beef Library in a secret location inside the Norwegian Arctic Circle. Alex had been cataloguing the Beef Media Library and had prepared a number of clips of old episodes of the forerunners of the Beef and Dairy Network, which proudly traces its history back to the 1940s and to the BBC programme The Beef Front. However, the day before I was due to get the plane to Norway, the news broke that there had been a serious security breach. This is the news at 10 o'clock. The International Beef Library, which houses the world's rarest and most valuable historical beef, has been taken over by wolves. The facility deep inside the Arctic Circle in Norway was thought to be the most secure location on the planet. The following day, I took the plane to Norway and met Alex at the Beef Library's perimeter fence. 
all it took was someone to leave a door ajar and that's it the place is is now overrun overrun with wolves wolf security was a big deal for us at the beef library and some say it was only a matter of time until they got in and to be honest have you seen jurassic park 3 where they just completely take over the island it's like that in there now wolves are on that building now we thought it was safe because we had the turret we'd shoot the wolves from the turret and inside security was was what we thought was watertight with um retina scanners and fingerprint scanners but here's a fact for you a wolf's eye to a retina scanner it's like a skeleton key it can open the lot another security feature is that 90 percent of the beef library is underground but this design feature seems to have backfired it makes it all the more difficult now to attack and get the wolves out because from a from a defensive point of view it, 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 everything is in the wolf's favour. You've got the machine gun turret there, which I remember you were talking about last time I was here. You were using that to ward the wolves away. Yes. Using the machine guns there. Uh, what was it that meant that the wolves were able to overcome the turret? Because I can see them now. There's a couple just hanging out inside the turret. I don't know how the wolves themselves o- organise uh, themselves these days, but it really feels like these days there's always one on watch. I don't know. Are they wolf- able to use the machine gun there? They have a go. They do their best. Even if we could get past the machine guns, we'd then have to work our way through the wolves themselves. I was interested in finding out what steps had been taken to try and solve the wolf infiltration, and I was extremely surprised by one of the names that came up. Hello, uh, my name is Bob Truscothic, a former bovine arse vet turned pest controller based in Norway. I had a little bit of professional difficulty back in the UK. The word disgraced was bandied about quite a bit. And so I upped sticks and um, headed to Norway, where I've never been to before. Pest control-wise, really, it, it's it's essentially the same job, really. I just had to change the livery on my van. What you're doing is uh, professionally offing animals who need to be offed. Um, as a vet, generally speaking, that would usually be done with individual animals um, with pest control it's it's more in bulk I moved to Norway for a couple of reasons really one no one knew me up there I've never been there before uh, and, and two uh, I've always had a, a very deep love for the uh, Nordic thrash metal scene specifically black and grindcore which fuses um traditional heavy thrash metal with uh, tales from Norwegian folklore. Put it this way, if the lead singer is dressed as a troll, I know I'm in the right cave. I remember my first conversation uh, with the Beef Library. I explained to them that I I might well be the right man for the job, seeing as a a wolf's mouth is actually very similar anatomically uh, to a cow's anus. They were very surprised when I said that, uh, but actually when you think about the positioning of the salivary glands within a, a wolf's mouth, the glandular architecture is very similar to the glandular architecture of the, the soft inner cushioned layer of a cow's anus, which, if delicately tickled by someone in the know, can coax the animal into a state of somnolence and, indeed, obedience. 
The flip side, of course, is that uh, obviously a, a wolf's mouth can be just as dangerous as a cow's ass. Um, I did have one apprentice as a, a vet uh, who was a little bit rough handling um, a young bullock, uh, in fact, and um, the bullock had an anal panic spasm. And so tight was the clenching of both the inner and outer sphincters of the bovine anus uh, that it ripped the arm of the apprentice clean off. So for an old hand like me, it's, it's really much of a muchness. When I got the call, I happened to be in the process of making a new friend uh, in a, uh, uh, a herring bar in Tromsø, um, a young man called Ulf Gunderson. Um, and I thought it'd be a good idea to recruit a partner for this job. Um, so I persuaded him to come down with me and uh, drive to the library and, and see what was what. I was a, a little bit perturbed when I realised that the infestation wasn't so much a, a pack of, you know, half a dozen, maybe ten wolves as I was imagining. It was more, we're talking 200-odd, um, very, very angry wolves. I thought initially uh, that the best thing to do would just be to send Ulf in um, with a sort of blunderbuss, effectively. He wasn't so keen. Uh, so plan two, uh, I had a little bit of a think. I tried to think, well, you know, a wolf isn't necessarily an apex predator. What, what is a predator for this predator? Um, and of course, the answer is polar bears. Um uh, a couple of phone calls later, uh, and Ulf is uh, setting sail off north to Svalbard, and uh, by Jove, uh, the man gets himself a, a polar bear in no time at all. I was very impressed when I got the call from Ulf. Um, disappointingly, though, when uh, when we were to rendezvous in a, a little harbour uh, called Rasporten, a little bit further down the coast, uh, I noticed that as the, the fishing trawler was coming in, it was... it was sailing a little er- erratically. It, it didn't hit the main pontoon properly it, w- it was a drift essentially i think probably what must have happened probably even in the last minutes of the journey is that the polar bear must have worked loose from its chains and um and had, had attacked everyone on on board and indeed the authorities later found that everyone on board was was dead i then got in touch with ulf's cousin anders um and that's when we we decided to to, to try again the other predator of wolves of course uh, is wolves um so we broke into uh, a, a, a wolf sanctuary about 100 miles to the east, um, which was a scientific research area, um, and got a, a van full of wolves uh, and released those wolves into the wolves at the library. Uh, but that arguably made the situation considerably worse. My name is Astrid Lund, and I'm the director of the International Beef Library here in the Arctic Circle. We always knew that the wolf infiltration was a possibility, but we foolishly believed that the machine gun turret in the car park would be sufficient. We also naively hoped that the wolves might have some respect for what we're trying to achieve here. The situation has become much worse after the intervention by the pest controller that we employed, and we have now given up hope of recovering the priceless beef within the library. We have decided that the only course of action is to build a gigantic steel and concrete dome over the entire complex and seal it in. This is the news at 10 o'clock. The International Beef Library, which is now full of wolves, has announced today that they intend to trap the wolves by encasing the entire facility underneath a gigantic steel and concrete dome. The dome, which will weigh the best case scenario, is that we get all the wolves in the area in there, and then we lock the thing shut, and then we leave that for I don't know 
200, 300 years. And then in years to come, someone cracks it open and see what they've evolved into. Although there are hundreds and hundreds of wolves in there, there are still humans in there. Um, they've shut themselves into cupboards. They put themselves into safe vaults uh, in the hope of being safe. Obviously, there's an issue then with if they are concreted in inside a massive steel orb, um, that will be a problem for them. Also a problem potentially for the world. As you say, if they crack this open in a few hundred years' time and evolution and crossbreeding is done its thing, we have these kind of huge mutant wolfmen. That's a possibility, isn't it? The killer is they'd still be on the payroll. While they're in there, we're still having to pay them. What we're looking at here is a potential of, a couple of hundred years down the line, a bunch of wealthy, evolved wolfmen crawling from a concrete-covered beef den. And, you know, And what does, what does that mean for the world? Um, given the way the world's going, that could be a blessed relief. Long story short, I've sent the beef library an invoice. I'm getting a bit of pushback from them because they say, ah, you didn't get rid of a single wolf. And arguably, the wolf population has now doubled because of your interventions. Also, there's a polar bear that we're being sued for. Anyway, the point is, I still have petrol costs, right? I have to pay my apprentices. And even even if they are dead, or probably dead, um, then in my game, generally speaking, the family of the apprentice will always expect blood money. Uh, it's, it's not a cheap business. I want paying. We will not be paying Mr. Trescothick's invoice. This catastrophe has been financially ruinous for the beef library. The only small consolation is that we are able to begin selling guest passes to live stream the CCTV from inside the beef library. For 20 euros a month, you get 24-7 access, and for 50 euros a month, you get a premium pass, which allows you to connect yourself through to the speaker system inside the library, so you can shout encouragement to either the remaining members of staff or the wolves, depending on which side you're on. For me, this is personally devastating, although luckily the beef library was always secondary to my passion for music. Maybe your listeners would like to listen to my heavy metal band. We're called Snotras Gauntlet, and we fuse traditional heavy thrash metal with tales from Norwegian folklore. Our lead singer dresses up like a troll, so you know it's the good stuff. If you'd like access to that CCTV web stream, Beef and Dairy Network members get 20% off using the code ABSOLUTECARNAGE. That's absolute carnage, all one word. Simply go to wolfversuslibrarian.com. That's wolfversuslibrarian.com. I asked Alex about the CCTV feed. It makes for pretty shocking viewing, watching um, a middle-aged scientist use a chair leg to try and fend off ten wolves. And yeah. actually successfully, in, in that case, some, some of the stuff that's going on in there, they're really giving it a good shot, aren't they? Oh, I mean, it's amazing what people will do when they're backed into a corner and watching people who, you know, I mean, I, I remember some of those people struggling to climb the stairs. But when they're locked in a room full of wolves, in many ways... It brings out the best in them. I think it's been the making of some of the people. Well, I was watching a, a young scientist called Graham Peterson. Um, someone was identifying him to me and said, oh, that's Graham. He's a junior scientist here. He joined a couple of years ago. He's a bit weird. He's a bit quiet. He's 25. Um, he's quite weedy. Uh, they were saying, oh, I don't think the wolves are going to have any trouble with this guy. And then he picked up a big rod 
like a staff and obviously we couldn't hear through the CCTV, but from my lip reading, my rudimentary lip reading, he was shouting, I am now your king, in a, in a sort of bold move to try and actually become the pack leader. I think he wants to work with the wolves rather than against them. And um, I think if he feels like if he can assimilate with the group, then maybe that's his best shot. So, yeah, I've seen him. Good luck to Graham then. Yeah, all, all the best to him. I mean, I think... If ever he gets out, we here at the International Beef Library will be giving him a gold-plated reference and uh, we'd wish him all the best. Is there a chance that if he did get out, he would feel quite betrayed by his employer and, and, and you specifically and might actually, especially having lived within the brutal hierarchy of a wolf pack, might take that out on you in a violent way? I think he would feel like this has been an experience in which he's learnt enough to go, OK, whatever hasn't killed me made me stronger i think he he will come out and go okay at the time i was cross that you locked me in a building full of rampaging wolves but what it'll add to his cv will just mean that you know long term he'll he'll be fine i think he'll um i think he'll look back back in it quite fondly and obviously you're not just locking in hundreds of wolves and a number of scientists you're also locking in the world's beef heritage and and that's the um that's the hardest part there are things in that beef library which we have no other record of you know graham was one in a million but some of those beef dishes were one in a billion and that's um yeah that's quite that's you quite sort of think about thinking about it now i mean hindsight's twenty twenty, but we really did put all our beef eggs in one basket here yeah we did and there was um there was always an argument to sort of split the international beef library around the world and to try and um maybe put burgers in one place and steaks in another place well, they built the international rib center in in leicester and then that never actually got filled no it didn't because once you've got an international beef library and that's where you go to see the beef are you going to fly to leicester to look at ribs it's it's easier if it's all in one place for a short while there was an argument to move the international beef library around the world kind of like the olympics every four years hold it in a different city introduce a bidding process and that sort of thing but just the the logistics of moving all that meat from place to place to place that always seemed like a like a a risky operation um but also you know there are problems here you know it's obvious this has gone wrong oh this is a catastrophe and that's because of the wolf problem but anyway you took it on earth there was always going to be problems wasn't there you know for example south africa was one of the uh, people who wanted this in the first place uh, had we built it in south africa we might have been looking at a similar thing full of cheaters wherever you go there will be something that wants to get at your beef if you held it in the english countryside you'd be fighting off badgers if, if you hold it here you're fighting off wolves Prague couldn't promise us that we wouldn't get a bear coming for us. So it was always going to be a matter of sort of weighing up pros and cons. People were saying that there are parts of the world where there there aren't apex predators, carnivores. So New Zealand, for example, there's no major large carnivorous mammal. That, That is true scientifically, but politically, can you imagine the ramifications of putting the International Beef Library in the home of lamb yeah yeah you'd um i mean i I, I was worried certainly that you know we'd turn our back and before we knew it you'd go in the international beef library and it would just be full of lamb yeah there's there's absolutely no doubt okay we could we could have done that and we could have placed it there but to be honest i'd rather see my life's work and my colleagues life's work and indeed some of my colleagues 
torn apart by wolves than see that library located in New Zealand. I respect that. I respect that. Thank you. More after this. Coming soon to Mitchell's Flicks UK. Why? Why did you shoot me? Nobody forces me to pay £60 for a briefcase I didn't ask for. Also, I love you. I love you too. When I met you ten minutes ago, it felt like the clasp of a premium briefcase clicking into place. Rest your head on the soft interior leather of this briefcase. Goodbye. Bury me in a giant briefcase. Oh, I will. The finest briefcase you've ever seen. Beautiful soft leather, not leatherette. None of your cheap rubbish. It'll have a beautiful articulated handle. And it'll be monogrammed, my darling. It'll be monogrammed. I'll see you in the great briefcase in the sky. The Briefcase. Coming soon to Mitchell's Flicks UK. Subscribe to Mitchell's Flicks UK today with the code BRIEFCASE and you will automatically be entered into a draw to win an exact replica of the briefcase used in The Briefcase. Only one briefcase per household. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it's me again, Benjamin Partridge. Now, it's that time of the year, and it only happens once a year, so cut me some slack here, where I ask you for just a few minutes of your time. I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about how listeners can support this show. I really like the way that Maximum Fun run things in terms of the business model. All the episodes of Beef and Dairy Network are free. They don't go behind a paywall after a certain amount of time. And apart from once a year, which is now, I don't have to spend time uh, haranguing you and asking you for money on my Patreon or whatever, etc, etc, etc. I also try and keep advertising to a minimum. And I'm only able to do all that because this show is audience-supported. Milk. Milk. What are you? Milk. Milk. What are you? Drink the milk, fill up with wisdom, suck it all down, open up your third With me, take my hand, fill my cup from the magical gland. Pasteurize my heart, milk me in the moonlight, an opaque liquid art. Taste the cream and cry. Many of you give money to the show, and first of all, I just want to say a huge thank you to you if you're one of those people. Without your support, this show wouldn't be happening. And I honestly really can't say how grateful I am. Thank you very much. Now, 2020 so far has been a shit show. And this is a weird time, no doubt, to be asking people for money. So I understand that many of you won't be able to or simply don't want to give any money. And that's obviously totally fine. I'm just very happy that you're listening. But if you do have the means and and if the show means something to you and you want to support it, then that is brilliant, and now is the time to sign up. MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Most people choose the $5 or $10 per month bands, but also it's possible to support at higher levels, $20 and upwards. We are truly grateful for whatever level of support you're comfortable with. 
Your support means that the show can carry on and it means I can pay contributors and buy equipment and, and frankly, live. You know, I'm a, I'm a comedy writer by trade. I consider making this podcast to be part of my job and it, it takes um, a lot of time. Your support gives me the space I need to spend time on the show and make sure it's as good as it can be. And what's amazing about your support is that it allows for that to happen. When you sign up, it will ask you which Maximum Fun shows you listen to, and that tells the system where to send the money to. So uh, a small amount of the money will go to Maximum Fun for their overheads, and that's something I'm very, very happy about. They've done so much for the show, and they're a wonderful network and community, and I'm very happy about that. Then the rest of that money will be split equally between the shows that you have indicated, which means that if you only want to support the Beef and Dairy Network, that is entirely possible. Also, all Maximum Fun members get access to the bonus content feed, which is bonus episodes that are added to each year. This year's Beef and Dairy bonus episode is made up of bits that we recorded but didn't use for various episodes that we've made over the past year or so. Um, and I thought I'd include a little taster here of the kind of thing we've got. This is a clip of our old friend Eli Roberts. You may remember we did an episode where he talked about his time living in Korea. And here's a clip we didn't use in the episode. It's him talking about his take on martial arts. I mean, obviously, in the uh, all the Southeast Asian countries, then uh, martial arts are a big thing. You know, you got your karate's, and you got your kung fu's, and you got your, your judo's and your jujitsu's. Uh, taekwondo is the big one in Korea. And at one level, you got to say, like, I respect someone because it's you know it's face to face, it's hand to hand combat, and there's an element of that certainly, yes. But I mean. What they don't realise is there's too many rules, right? Life haven't got rules. There's no uh, there's no rule book in life. Okay, it, it, you can be the biggest, fastest, hardest, quickest, most powerful, most supple martial artist in the world, right? You're still gonna lose against me because I wake you to sleep in. You can do all the martial arts in the world when you're asleep. It's going to come down to who's got the best attitude, right? Because I will quite happily wait. Revenge is very underrated in in the, in the combat world, right? So let's say let's let's say you're here in Korea, and someone challenges you for whatever reason, right? And they are a champion of taekwondo, right? In th- in that bout, when they come towards you and they're doing the taekwondo, how how do you fare? Best case scenario for them would be that I knock them out at the time, right? Uh, some would say, oh, they're faster than you. They've been training since they were three years old, blah, blah, blah. Right? Worst case scenario, he's beaten me. He's bested me. If I lost, then I've lost the battle, not the war, right? Oh, I'm the Taekwondo champion. I've beaten Oli Lay Roberts, fair and square on the mat. I've won. Well, you've won that battle, sunshine. What's going to happen now is tonight, you're going to go to sleep. Oli Lay's going to find out where you live. He's going to smother you if you're lucky, right? If you're lucky, I might hit you in the head with a skillet, right? But I will win the next battle, which will be the decisive battle, right? So I don't see a point in any sort of combat that isn't ultimate. It doesn't matter if I'm in an octagon like these bloody idiots who do this UFC, whatever it's called, right? Oh, this, he's going to use this. Oh, don't get him on the floor. He's a grappler. I don't care if he's a grappler, I don't care if he's a puncher, a grappler, a kicker, whatever he is, right? What's he like when he's sleeping? Yeah? Don't matter who you are. I will hit you with a radiator when you're sleeping. And then I've won. 
using that as an example though right I'm, I'm not an expert in taekwondo or any of the no. uh, Asian martial arts but Absolutely. as far as I know they're all based on a system of respect right and um, a kind of I guess chivalry you know a, 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 a sense of what is right and what is mm. wrong so there, I think somebody who who was who was in that world would say you going back at night finding out where they live and, and hitting them with a radiator mm. that's kind of unsporting Who's deciding what the sport is? This is what I think. This is what it boils down to, right? Or that's unsporting behaviour. Why? He was on a mat 12 hours ago, hitting me with a, you know, in front of a crowd of people thinking he's hard. Or that was the sport. Well, I think this is the sport. You know? I think him being asleep and me dropping a radio on his head is, is my sport, right? Who's to say my sport's right and this sport's wrong? Or vice versa? What I'm saying is, you talk about respect, right? The ultimate respect is don't start where you're not prepared to finish. I've never picked a fight on someone and not been prepared to go to the house at night and drop a radiator on the head, right? And I think that's the ultimate respect. So there we go. More of that sort of thing uh, on the bonus feed. Also, the previous year's bonus content is all there. So there are other similar episodes like that and a whole otherwise unreleased live show, which I think is worth it. On top of that, there are gifts. If you join or upgrade to $10 a month, you get to choose a really great enamel pin badge of your favourite Max Fun show. The beef and dairy one this year is a pin badge that says, I ate the fifth meat. And, and to be honest, there's been some mistake because uh, Max Fun got in contact with me and they said, what do you want on the badge? And I said it should say, there are only four meats. But they've um, already made they've already made them and they say, I ate the fifth meat which is obviously nonsense but um oh there's someone at the door hang on At $20, you get the Maximum Fun Game Pack with dice and Maximum Fun themed playing cards. To see all the gifts available, please go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. And on top of the gifts, you'll get that warm feeling that comes from knowing that you are supporting independent artists making things that you love. And making sure that the Beef and Dairy Network podcast continues until the end of time. So, there we go. That wasn't so bad, was it? Thanks for listening. MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Back to the show. Of course, the majority of Alex's work was out of bounds, trapped behind the snarling jaws of hundreds of monstrous mystical canines. Luckily, Alex had digitised some of the material that he had been collating for me, and so, as we sat on a hillside and watched wolves attack the workmen who were attempting to build a steel and concrete dome, he was still able to talk us through the history of the Beef and Dairy Network. Okay, now I guess we're going to be starting back in uh, the 1940s. Of course, we're very proud to trace our history all the way back to a BBC programme, actually, that was on the BBC Home Service during World War II called The Beef Front. That's right. Uh, Originally presented by Millicent Ringrose. Very popular programme throughout the Second World War. Uh, Unfortunately, Millicent herself was a German spy, she uh, died mid-broadcast, actually, you know, in a bombing raid, and it, it gave the Beef Front a chance to find a new presenter who it also transpired was a German spy. And actually, when you listen back to those recordings, I think you can hear what's going on. This is the Beef Front, and my name is Jemima Jones. 
My love for beef is only matched by how British I am. And I'm as British as fish and chips, cup of tea, piece of cheddar cheese, call blimey Bobby Hitler's trousers. Now remember, if you know the whereabouts of an upcoming RAF bombing raid on German soil, please write in with the coordinates so I can tell my friend Winston Churchill. <laughs> Dankeschön. Uh, uh, thank you. So as we move into the 1950s, the beef front is still popular, but due to austerity, times are tight. Uh, the BBC are looking to save money where they can, so they end up sometimes pooling programmes together, pooling production teams together. So what ended up happening is that a very popular programme at the time, Serenade at Seven, which was um, choirs and songs, an enormously uh, popular programme, found itself combined with the beef front so essentially these two shows are sort of happening simultaneously yes and it made for a very confusing listen the, the finished show was a bit of a mess last week beef calf rearing reached an all-time weekly record of 70,000 head of healthy calf beating the record set in march 1952 on the milk markets prices have have held steady with a gallon oh barely hear myself thinking here. Really? Really? Will you shut up? Shut up, you infernal choristers. Be quiet. I am trying to do a report here and you're all just singing away like a bunch of merry jackanapes living in a nightingale's enclosure and I am losing my ever-loving mind. In this then world. into the 1960s, uh, well, you know, the 60s were like all bets were off. Uh, there was a huge change in culture, it's all it's very drug-induced and all this sort of thing. Stuff's becoming very exciting in music, in theatre, in art. We had, of course, the Summer of Beef. The Summer of Beef, which was um, kids out, out till late into the night sharing beef dishes and, you know, their parents not knowing what was going on. This wasn't the beef they were used to. This wasn't the sort of thing they grew up with. Um, but what was, what was interesting to see is how something like Beef Front has to reflect this. And so what you end up seeing is uh, the Beef Front becoming very experimental. And now a few words from our consciousness. Beef. The price of beef is not what you pay for it. The price of beef is beef. not what you pay for it. The price of beef is not what you pay for it. Then something very interesting happened in the early 1970s. It turns out the American government had been watching what Britain had been doing with the beef front with great interest and swept in and bought the beef front. Bought the format, basically. Bought the format. They took what worked about the beef front and they gave it an American spin, an American twist. And it's interesting to see that it's a, it's a, a crossover. It's an American crossover that really, really works. I think what's lovely about what it became, which was uh, Beef International, is that it's a very optimistic programme. You're thinking, you know, we've just put a man on the moon. It's this idea of, um, you know, is the world going to start working together? There's the Coca-Cola advert, I'd like to teach the world to sing. And I think 
if anything, Beef International became a sort of beef equivalent of that idea. You know, you can just imagine people of all races and of all nations tuning in to Beef International and thinking, this is what beef is all about. Welcome to Beef International. I'm Ron Bickerstaff with all your beef news from across the globe. From Lake Tahoe to Tahiti, from Madison to Madagascar, we've got it all. Beef. Bringing the world together right here at Beef International. People in the UK, they were st- you know, who'd been fans of the Beef Front, they were subscribing to Beef International. But there's also stories of cassettes being smuggled behind the Iron Curtain. No one would admit to it at, uh, at the time, but in the USSR, Beef International was an incredibly popular show. People were listening to this and people were going, oh, this is what's going on in the West. This is what they're, they're doing. This is what they're, they're, they're doing with beef. It was an optimistic broadcast, but that's what the American government wanted all along. It was this idea of uh, this is what America are bringing to the world through beef. So it's a world being brought together, but crucially being led by America. And, you know, Ron Bickerstaff typifies that. Absolutely. I mean, R- Ron Bickerstaff is the sort of all-American guy, uh, a man who's sort of built from beef, uh, as I think he used to say. I think a lot of people had seen those images of the earth taken from Apollo and I think that's what Ron was saying Ron was saying that's the world and it's a world of beef welcome to beef international big news from Brazil this week where the beef market is hot 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 then as we move into the 1980s beef international changes in quite a seismic way the optimistic tone is replaced by something a little more hectoring what you've got to remember is that now uh, Reagan is in the White House and Beef International is asked to adopt a more overtly anti-communist tone. Uh, it's something that I think regular listeners were quite shocked by when it when it changed, but it, it, it was a very popular programme. One of the things that's most difficult to listen to as you work your way through the whole archive is uh, Ron Bickstaff goes from being this quite uh, warm, optimistic, friendly presence to uh, an obviously much more difficult spiky character who is fueled less by beef and more by a hatred of communist regimes hey if you're listening in russia if you're listening mr gorbachev or as i call you mr gorba jackass american beef production is kicking your commie ass yup why don't you redistribute this you can't see me but i'm pointing at my dick my strong american dick I sometimes wonder, did the world change or did Ron change? And I think I think both in many ways. But I think Ron was a man who saw an opportunity. I mean, many people have said to me, is Ron Bickerstaff the greatest president America ever had? I mean, that's not for me to say. He did join the Republican Party in the mid-80s. I think it's pretty clear he thought he was in with a shot at uh, taking over from Reagan. He was always on the right of the Republican Party, but he was very much a favourite at the time. And I think he would have been in with a shot. I think he had a good chance, were it not for the incident that um, led to the downfall of his career, in which he was caught performing a lewd act in a hall of mirrors. My name is Ivory Gwynn. And I was Ron Bickerstaff's campaign manager in his bid for the Republican presidential nomination in 1988. I remember it so vividly. I was in a campaign headquarters in Omaha, and Ron was off in California, where he was 
trying to get the endorsement of the actor Emilio Estevez. I got a phone call. I was 11 in the morning. 11 in the morning. It was my assistant, Bianca, and she says, Ron's been caught giving a handjob to one of the staff down on the Santa Cruz boardwalk. So I think, all right, I'm sure I can spin this. You know, there's nothing I can't spin. I'm sure we can play off a handy as, uh, you know, trying to fix a car or something. Something with that kind of movement, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, in that position, you go into damage limitation mode, of course. And the first thing you do is you have to work out exactly what you're dealing with. So I asked Bianca how many people saw him. Where exactly was it? And that's when she told me. She said, Ivory, are you sitting down? Because it was in a hall of mirrors. And obviously my heart sank. How could you be so stupid? Because it was in a hall of mirrors. Not only did it mean that he was seen by everyone else inside it, like a giant, sordid kaleidoscope, I also knew that in the opinion of the religious right of the Republican Party, the very people were hoping to get votes from committing adultery in a hall of mirrors means that in the eyes of God, you've committed adultery over a hundred times. I don't know how many reflections there were. Every reflection is a new sin. So Ron Bickerstaff was over. And by the end of the week, I'd moved on to the George Bush campaign. As for Ron, uh, his wife left him. And he just sort of well, faded away, I guess. Last I had heard, he'd gone to jail for selling a school some tainted donkey beef. And that was it, really, for uh, for Ron. Um, that was it, the end of both his political career and his broadcasting career. That was it. He was he was off the show, and to be honest, the show almost died with him. Then, so the demise of Ron Bickerstaff, you know, threatened to bring an end to this heritage of beef broadcasting that had gone all the way back to World War Two. But it did survive, didn't it? It did. Um, the American license for the show expired. So the BBC suddenly had the rights thing. We're looking for something to do with it. There was a space on Saturday morning, a, a slot traditionally, home to kids' television, and some pretty forward-thinking producers went, is this where we launch the next big thing in beef broadcasting? And this, of course, is... Um, I remember this from my own childhood. Beefers. Beefers. What a with, show. Spelt with a Z. Yeah, Beefers with a Z, presented by Jess Lord and Bagshaw the Heron. Uh, who not was, a real heron. Not a real heron. A puppet heron. And these two were massive. It's Saturday morning. I'm Jess Lord. And I'm Bagshaw the Heron. Ah! And it's time for... Beefers! If you go to any British adult between the age of, I would say, about 25 and 45, and go, do you like beef? And they say yes. You go, what got you into beef? They'll say it was beefers. Kids absolutely loved it, because it was three hours of fun, all with that sort of beef-based slant. So, I mean, I, I... I was uh, the thing that got me into beef broadcasting was when I remember saying to my mum and dad, "Can I phone the farmer? Can I phone the farmer?" And uh, there'd always be a farmer on air. And you can ask him absolutely anything about beef farming. You just phone up, you get put through. He's sitting there with his massive phone, and you just go, "Hi, 
how does milking machine work? And he's, you know, and he'd, he'd say, and, and, and sometimes he'd explain in exceptional detail. I mean, when I watch kids TV now, I just think, you know, there's no way that children's television now would just have for seven, eight, nine minutes a farmer on a large phone slowly explaining how a milking machine works to a, to a young lad in and that, Wales. And that's a shame. It's, it's a tremendous shame. Once the milk has come up through the nozzle, it's pulled through the system by a vacuum pump through a filter sock before being cooled. You're going to want to replace that filter sock fairly regularly or sediment can back up in the system, causing all sorts of problems. (laughs) That doesn't sound like much fun. It's an absolute f***ing nightmare. Um, We apologise for that language. It is a f***ing nightmare. Now, I've got questions about beefers. Um, I watched many episodes, as I've said. But it did always confuse me why it was presented by um, Jess Lord, who was a, a great presenter, a young woman, very uh, chirpy and bubbly and lots of fun. And you were way around beef. Absolutely. She grew up where her father was a beef farmer, of course. But then she was accompanied by Bagshaw the heron, the uh, puppet heron. Why did they choose a heron? Why not a, a cow, for example? Right, so... We're looking at a show. It's discussing dairy, but it's also discussing beef. So if you've got a cow and we're looking at meat on a plate, it doesn't take much for a child to go, hang on a second, that puppet cow one day might we'll be, be on puppet a pl- beef. will be puppet beef. And, you know, you, you can... You, you, they, they, what they wanted was an animal that wouldn't end up on a plate somewhere. I, I mean, if we're going to be feeding an animal to the Pet Shop Boys, let's make sure that it's not an animal that's also a puppet in the studio. Dear. What's the matter, Bagshaw? I'm just trying to digest this new European Union farming legislation, but it's so complicated. Well, luckily, later we're joined by Claude Leconte from the European Federation of Food and Agriculture to talk us through the changes. Thank you, Jess. Ah, as a thank you, here, eat a stickleback from my beak. Um, I don't want to. No, go on. No. Just reach in and grab it. Just there. You can see it. Eat it. Don't be ungrateful. I'm not being ungrateful. I don't want it. I don't want it. Eat it. I don't want it. And then Beefers uh, comes to an end, and I believe the BBC take the decision to relinquish the format and decide they're not going to do any more beef broadcasting. That's right, and it, it could have all ended there were it not for a very forward-thinking man called Paul Kitesworthy. Of course. Who looked back at everything that has happened since the beef front all the way through to beefers and uh, fashioned the Beef and Dairy Network pretty much as we know it today. A printed magazine and an audio show which he would present on cassette. And, of course... Uh, Later, the podcasts available wherever you get your podcast from. Absolutely, he was the person who went. This is uh, this is the modern beef and dairy network. Well, thank you, Alex. It's been a wonderful to talk to you about the uh, about our history and our heritage, and it's amazing to feel that I am carrying the torch, a torch that was lit by a German spy back in the nineteen forties. Beef broadcasting has an amazing history, and um, you know it's just a shame that we decided to put it all in one place a place that has since been completely overtaken by wolves. Yes, well, Alex, uh, best of luck with uh, getting your facility back from the wolves, and uh, I'll see you again soon. Thank you very much. So there we have it. From the Beef Front, through Beef International and Beefers, here we are, the Beef and Dairy Network. A broadcasting dynasty that will last for a thousand years or more. And before we go, a final treat for this episode. We managed to track down a couple, Iris, 95, and Bernard, 97, 
who have been loyal listeners ever since that first episode back in 1942. We've listened to every iteration of the Beef and Dairy Network, yes, haven't we? Yes, every single one, yes. That's right, from the Beef Front in the 1940s, yes, remember that? Yes, I remember. All the way until now. now. And I have to say, and you'll agree with me, I yes, know, darling, sure. it's all been absolutely dreadful, it's wouldn't been you agree? terrible, awful all of it. program. Absolutely appalling listening. A complete waste of our time. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes. darling, yeah, yeah. Nurse, it's time for us to be washed. Aside from Iris and Bernard, there's also been something else that's been there the whole time. It was there back in 1942 at Britain's Darkest Hour, and it's here now, in the modern, complex, challenging world we find ourselves in. If you fall, it's there to catch you. If you cry, it's there to comfort you. If you buy a second-hand Hyundai i10 and it turns out to be a complete lemon, it's there to commiserate with you. It doesn't judge you or tell you what to do or refuse to give your money back even though you find out that it's actually the front end of one Hyundai i10 and the back end of another Hyundai i10 crudely welded together. Whatever you're going through, it understands what you need and unlike your father-in-law, it doesn't go on about how you should have run the car's registration plate through the online registration checker tool. I think you probably know where I'm going with this. It's our old friend, the big kahuna, the chairman of the board, the commander in beef. That's right. It's beef. Thanks to Tim Bick, Gemma Arrowsmith, Tom Crowley, Gareth Gwynn, Mike Wozniak, Penila Harland and Linnea Sage. And thank you for listening. Just want to say, again, huge thank you to everyone who's already a MaxFun member. And if you're interested, it's MaximumFun.org forward slash join. And if you've got any questions about how it works or uh, anything like that, get in contact. The email address is beefanddairynetwork at gmail.com also we're on twitter beef and dairy we're also on instagram and we're also on facebook and um if you did some sky writing there's a chance i'd see it although to be honest i'm not really leaving the flat very much at the moment because of the virus um stay safe wherever you are remember at the end of the day the real virus is lamb bye maximumfun.org comedy and culture artist owned Audience supported.